Welcome to the Cyber Nation Uncensored Podcast. We welcome all Chumbas, Edge Runners, Vault Dwellers, Wastelanders, Spice Traders, and Space Folders. Thanks for joining us. Please give us a great review and also be sure to join us on both YouTube and Twitch. We'd love to see you on a live stream. Thanks again. See you soon. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good evening, Gatos. This is your friendly neighborhood Cyber Smiley with my co-host. Greetings, programs. This is Wisdom, here to entertain you for another evening, hopefully. That we shall. So tonight we are going to be discussing the wonderful source book, uh, Home of the Brave, which... As source book see. to North America. Yeah. Well, the United States. It doesn't really go into Canada or Mexico, but yeah. So, um, any so a couple things that I've heard. Uh, one is uh, Westworld got a actual release date, which is in June sixth, I believe. Wait, twenty sixth. Well, that's good. It's going to come on uh, HBO. And we also have Edge Runners that is supposed to be coming out the week of June 6th during their geeked something or other. Um, yeah, the teaser looks pretty good that they released. Um, <laughs> what uh, little they showed. Yeah, very little. Very little. But I like the character design that I saw. Yeah. Um. Other things in cyberpunk media, um, I actually went off and got the comic books, so I'm up to speed on all of those. Um, right now I'm waiting for the last uh, issue, or the fourth issue of You Have My Word, which I think is turning into a great story. I hope they do finish it, and uh, we'll, we'll get a little further into this probably in a future episode. Um, yeah, I'm but, waiting for my copy to show up. I ordered it online and yeah. it has not arrived. Um, the other thing with cyberpunk media, actually I watched a anime on Netflix called Hero Mask, which has a lot of uh, cyberpunk 
themed stuff. Um, it's got a very Kaneda-esque motorcycle from Akira. Like, yes. that, that caught my eye. Yeah, so far I've um, gone through the first season and basically it's uh, an evil... Uh, an, or a shadow government creating experiments and the experiments get loose. Meanwhile, the true law or the public facing law the honorable law is trying to track those or investigate that whole situation um but it, it definitely has a nice blend of uh near future technology and uh a couple of yeah it's uh, like cyberpunk superheroes yeah so, i mean if you're into if you can if you can stomach shadow run you can stomach this and this is better well, I mean, I didn't see anything that was... It reminds me of the uh, RPG Underground, like, yeah. if you remember that. Yeah, I mean, I don't see it as anything, like... I mean, yes, there, there's unbelievable stuff, but you can also yeah. chalk it up to, like, the, the nanotechnology that they're using. Um, sure. And the gray goo. So, I, I mean, I don't see any, like... <laughs> superpowers as of yet in the story. I'm maybe they're coming. I don't know. I'm tuning in to find out. But um, at least the first several episodes I've seen, there hasn't been anything that I was like, this is definitely falls outside of the realm of cyberpunk and into more of a. No, it's the cyber the the superpowers they have are are very subdued. Actually, you know, it's it's. If anything, it's kind of like cyber generation, like an animated cyber generation with adults. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I dig it. I like it a lot. I want some. I want more of. It. Yeah, so I need to catch up on that, and uh, we can uh, talk about it a little more. Supposedly, a DLC dropped from Artalsorian, but I wasn't sure exactly which one. For cyberpunk, it was. They did it. They did. I missed it completely. Well, they had an announcement a few days ago on their Discord. Um, midnight with the upload. Rudolph's wagons of professional tools. Oh, I misread this. <laughs> so I think when they said announced it, it was basically they're releasing. DLC for Cyberpunk Red and The Witcher. And then they label it as Rudolph's ah. Wagons of Pro Professional Tools, which I assume is more it for like a Witcher. The Witcher, yeah. Than actual Cyberpunk, so. Wah wah. Hopefully, we'll get another release. Um, and also, speaking of releases, supposedly uh, CDPR is. Close with um, patch 1.6 for the game for Cyberpunk 2077. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what that actually does. Yeah, there's constant rumors going around that there's going to be DLC. It might introduce new quests. Um, yeah, it runs the gamut. So who knows? Uh, I know a lot of the modders have seen a couple of fun little new features like um, being able to suppress, I think, your hat and your glasses so you can still wear it, but it won't appear on your tune. Um, 
Oh, that would be nice. So it's getting a little more towards the transmorg of uh, your character. Still want the ability to change colors of clothing you craft or upgrade or whatever. Like weapons, everything. And then cars. Yeah, because there's not a single character I run that's going to wear bright yellow anything. (laughs) Well, I'd like to, you know, color code my cars, you know. I mean, I don't... There's a couple of those car colors that... I think it's the teal uh, sports car. It's not not any of my other characters' uh, kind of style, as it were. So... Well, hopefully it's coming. Uh, we'll see what they they include in this particular patch. Um, the rumor is this is probably going to be the last patch before they do or, or deploy any expansions or work on the uh, second version of Cyberpunk. Um, there, so there's been talk about using Unreal Engine for the next version of Cyberpunk, not necessarily the the expansion packs, but the actual Cyberpunk 2 or 2077-2.0 or maybe it'll be 2080. I don't know how they're going to number it. But... um, We'll find something. Hopefully. Floating out... Hopefully they'll keep us up before it comes out, but then again, they might not be. That's a bit of an ass in the past. Well, yes. That's that's the one problem, man. They don't want to over... overhype it um yeah so there has been a guy who did uh some mock-ups of like a a cyberpunk environment using the unreal engine Um, i saw that those look freaking amazing yeah um but i think a lot of people are saying oh this is what it's supposed to look like or, or what they should have waited for and yeah, it's not like Unreal Engine was out at the time. Well, number one, they... Unreal Engine was not out at the time. Number two, you don't know if this is gameplay, right? So, yeah. great, he renders this gorgeous scenes, but what is the interaction between a, a player and and that environment? Um, so. I tell you what, man, I, I just get so damn tired of hearing people whine and bitch about the game. Like, if you don't like it, don't play it. But stop making up bullshit reasons for other people not to give it a shot. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's damn well worth giving a shot. Especially if you're a fan of the genre, and especially, especially if you're a fan of the tabletop role-playing game. Yep. But yeah, definitely uh, everybody should uh, go out and... Um... Just do a quick search of Cyberpunk and Unreal Engine, and uh, you'll get the uh, small little clips the guy is already producing. But again, always understand that <laughs> rendering a, a pre, pre-generated scene is a lot different than uh, rendering something when you're actively playing in a game environment. So... It looks good. I mean, if that's the future of Cyberpunk, I can't wait for it. I, I agree completely. Oh, I agree. All right. So, uh, 
anything else you want to talk about before we get into um, uh, the book? Well, uh, yeah, no, I think we covered it. I think we covered the the bits and updates and, and whatnots. All right, so... Uh, right, straight into the main course here. Yeah, Home of the Brave. It was released back in 93. Um, it was written by Michael McDonald. That's funny. Oh. <laughs> Ross Spike Wynn. Ed Bloom, or Bloom, and Craig Sheely, along with uh, Mike and Lisa Pondsmith and Mark Vesnina. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's it's definitely a, it's it's got quite the pedigree. Yes, uh, the opening section, like most of their books, is uh, a bit uh, of a dialogue. Before we get to yep. before we jump to that, can we talk about the beautiful, beautiful cover? Um, and the fact that the beautiful cover, like, matches up with the cover for Land of the Free, uh, to create a singular image. We can talk about that and. Yeah, I just just want to throw that out there. It's it's actually one of my favorite covers. It's 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 very nomad. I mean, you got the caravan in the background, the lone bike in the foreground. It's it's badass. When you add that to the home of the or to the land of the free cover, um, it just creates this beautiful little picture of nomad life. I, I really dig this cover. Behind the backdrop. Going as far as to say that the combination of the two covers are really some of my favorite covers in the whole line. Yeah. With the backdrop of uh, a city, possibly. Not sure if it's if it's uh, ruins of a city behind them or if it's an active city. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what city that's supposed to be, but... It definitely, it definitely looks kind of dilapidated in the background there. So maybe uh, they're in the desert, though. I'm not. I don't know what city that would be. Uh, heck, it may be Vegas. Vegas is kind of fucked up, but uh, it may be Mexico City. That may be what that's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the Alcaldos uh, were uh, contracted to help rebuild Mexico City after its disaster. Yep. That might be what that's supposed to be. Which is weird because it's the America Source book, but who knows? Um, I'm not aware of anything going on in Nevada or New Mexico that, that would see a metropolis that size in ruins, but who cares? It's it's a nice cover. We'll just... Yeah. We can agree on that. Uh, it's by Doug Anderson, by the way, the cover, um, who does a lot of covers for, uh, did a lot of covers for Cyberpunk and other other RPGs. He was he was quite talented. Do you know if this was one image that he created, like one painting? I'm wondering if. Uh, I don't. I've never talked to to Mr. Anderson. I, I, <laughs> Mr. Anderson. <laughs> I would I would very much like to. Uh, he's one of the he's one of the few people I. I've never had the chance to. I should probably look him up. Yeah, because um, I could see you trying to get a print of it. If it was a full, if I poster. well, if I ever had that kind of money, yeah, maybe. Um, well, I didn't. Say I that. created 
I like melded the images for uh, my uh, Nomad Market article on Data Fortress. So mm -hmm. if anybody wants to see what that actually looks like, they can check that out. Um, yeah, so let's get into the heart of it. And again, like most source books, is a page or two of kind of a person giving some dialogue on what the current situation is and how life is uh, in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, and then the next part um, goes into the history. I mean, the whole book really is fluff. There, there are very, there's very little rules. There are some, most notably for uh, creating military characters. But as a whole, the whole book is just, uh, it's lore. And, like, this is my bread and butter kind of stuff. I love this stuff. I love the expansion to the timeline um, that we're getting ready to, to talk about here. Uh, yeah. I love this book. Yeah, and um, the, the history starts off in 1989. Um, so actually it was four years in the past from when this book was actually published, uh, and getting yeah, and, into uh, the whole, whole downfall of the world in general. Yeah. I mean, they talk about that in the, in the, like it expands on the disasters and the timeline from cyberpunk 2020, uh, the main source book, but it does so beautifully. And again, the art in this book is just like top notch. Like overall, this is this book just has fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to like look at all the little different blurbs of the history and where <laughs> where things are kind of accurate, right, to the to the real world, and eh, not too much. No, no. I mean, they got some things right. They got some generalities right. Yeah. Uh, like the actual hard, fast details, uh, not so much. But hey, yeah. Uh, who the hell knew what the world was going to look like in 1993, yeah. 30 years from 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 that date? Exactly. Um, but it's definitely a nice quick read um, to just see the overall history of the world and where things are in that parallel universe we call cyberpunk. Um, and then the next section actually dives into that history and gets into the fall of America, uh, consisting of the Gang of Four and their rise to power. Uh, which consisted of the FBI, CIA, NSA, and I forget which the third one or the fourth, the fourth one. one. Yeah, FBI, um, CIA, NSA, and there was one more. The uh, DEA. DEA. Yep. Um, and how they manipulated the media. As well as uh, not only that, but they also fought, fought amongst themselves, um, gaining power and basically declaring martial law. 
Yeah, allowing <laughs> terrorist incidents to take place like the new king of New York because none of them could communicate with each other. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, withheld, like actively withheld information from each other. Um, while, while our uh, abbreviated agencies uh, tend to be scum in real life, it, I, I gotta say, this is <laughs> real life turned out better for us than, than this. Um, they're, they're not actively doing that. Yep. Um, Depending on who's in office, I guess. Right. Because with the collapse came hundreds of thousands of dead. Or, sorry, 100,000 100, dead. Or, wait. No, 100 million dead. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no. The U.S. got devastated. And this was oh, under the assumption that by 19, what, late 2000s, that there would have been a population of a quarter of a million people in the States. So yeah. over a third of the population was wiped out. Uh, through hungers, through riots, and other atrocities, plagues uh, that racked the states. Um, Wildfires, I mean, U.S. did not fare well uh, yeah. in, the, in the years between 1990 and uh, 2020. It, it, it was really bad. Yeah, and also the other problem was Europe was not going to come to our aid because the Gang of Four... Uh, was basically doing some warfare against them as well. And they were not happy about that. Um, so that's all covered in the first chapter. All right, Fall of America. I gotta look at the, the chapter breakdowns. Um, and then you get into the new America and in this pretty beefy section, which I think is a good third of the book, um, gets into what America is like, uh, at least from, not from a, a, a leadership role, but what the population has gone through and what people and in, in the culture and the societies are now uh like um, getting into the various uh, stereotypes of corporates versus the street kids versus the nomads. Um, yeah, it's a it's a good look at culture in America. Um, it's it doesn't quite like it could have gone into other areas, I think. Um, but most of those are covered in other books fairly well. Uh, the it gives nice beefy sections on what it is like for, you know, corporate children and street children and like meta families, nomads and all that. It's. And I love how they do it, the, it, the kind of PowerPoint charts uh, throughout it. Yeah. Breaking down the society, the wealth gaps, the industries and other fun little things that kind of give you to. It flushes everything. And it gives a kind of a a corporate report of where America yeah. is. 
Like, uh, it reads like a dossier as much as, like, part of it reads like a like a dossier, and part of it reads like I don't know, like a like a like a coffee table history book. Um, and it works. It, it works pretty well. Uh, like I said, the whole book is really just lore. And if you're looking for lore on North uh, to expand your game beyond just Night City, this is the book for you. This, uh, if you run a Nomad campaign, hell, you see how many times I, I reference this book when mm-hmm. when I'm running the game we're in. Um, it's just it's invaluable. And it, it branches out into so many other little things, like the this blurb about children and cyberware on page seventeen, um, explaining why you can't let really implant put implants on like young children because their bodies are still growing. They're gonna grow right out of that stuff, and then they're gonna be permanently crippled. Um, some things you can get away with. Uh, other things, you know. Like if a kid loses a, a limb or something, you can replace them with uh, limbs, but you'll have to do that on a regular basis as they grow. And like a lot of people don't think about that kind of thing. Yep. Um, the other things I like is uh, how they go into like the top ten uh, musics or, or songs of the year, right? Yeah. And then the following page, which I don't know if it actually exists anymore, but if TV Guide, I, I, I have a feeling that that, that magazine doesn't exist anymore. I don't know for a fact. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, Are you talking about like right now in real life? Cause yeah. I, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a TV Guide. Yeah. Uh, because this is the I know they still... format that they had it in. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it, it was 1993. We still believe that books were the future. Jesus Christ, were we naive. Like, nobody had cell phones yet. Uh, obviously, Cyberpunk 2020, like, like missed the boat on how important uh, cell phones would be and how much they would change. But they kind of didn't, because if uh, I've said it before, if you... If you, like, merge cell phone technology with cyber modems, then you've got modern cell phones. You just don't. Yeah. So, I think they got it a little bit more right than most people give them credit for. But, yeah, they were working on the information they had at the time. And nobody could have ever guessed just how ubiquitous cell phones would become. Like, shit. I I can't imagine going a day without at least looking at my cell phone. Right. I mean, hell, I have trouble going an hour, really. Or just the understanding of how paper has slowly gone away, right? Um, yeah. Not only I for... Mean, and this is from... Go ahead. But not only for, like, magazines and newspapers. I mean, yes, there's still still a bit of that, and, and I don't think books, etc., are going away. But certain things especially like um in the corporate world um you know paper reports and inter inter office memos are no longer a thing since the advent of emails um yeah 
so yeah, so seeing like fax machines and other <laughs> things and printers for your mini computer. Um, I don't know how much use of it would be in our culture, but you know, the, the concept of this is an alternative reality. So therefore the development of what we have in real life might not have been developed in that, right? Because of that split that happened between our timeline and cyberpunk 2020s timeline. Um, yeah. And I think that's I, uh, one concept that I think a lot of people are still like, this doesn't make sense. But if you stand back and take a look at it and be like, this is an alternative timeline, right? Um, I mean, you don't want look at uh, the man, was it the man in the castle? No. What is it? What's that book called? Which one? The man from High Castle. Oh, the one yeah, in which the... <laughs> the one in which the bad guys won World War Two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the definite bad guys. Yeah, so um, you can't look at that story and be like, "Well, this would never happen," right? Because you can't really apply this, the development and technology of our universe to a, an alternate universe that, you know, maybe you know, no, you know, certain things just didn't click. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of, you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. I was, uh, to be honest, when they an, an originally announced Red, I was really hoping that they'd just reboot the game and, like, start the timeline over or, like, redo the timeline so that the 2020 era tech just happens at a later date or, like, the... Just stretch it out so it takes place in the future far enough that, you know, it's still plausible. Right. Uh, um, obviously, they decided to just make it a direct sequel. Um, but, yeah, in, in my... I, I toy with Data Fortress uh, changing... Basically just changing the dates on the timeline to stretch it out to a later date. One of these days I may do this, but I think... Yeah, that might take... That might be a, a bit much to chew off. That would be a lot of stuff to have to go through and, and like, change dates on. Yep. Well, I mean, if you think about it, right, who's to say, you know, during the riots that um, Jobs wasn't killed in the 90s, right? Think about that, or, you know... Yeah. Everyone, you know, Harvard, or the people who... I forget the names of the guys who develop google what if those guys you know were killed or caught the plague <laughs> you know i mean if you think about a third of the country was was wiped out of existence um in the late 90s oh, yeah. and early 2000s can't been just rich guys so the possibility that you know the things we what have all now, of this became the leading search engine <laughs> right and Netscape is still still a viable browser. Yeah, I, I hey, I use I, I use SeaMonkey, which is a Netscape yep. emulator. And uh, AOL is so, the Facebook of crap. of the twenty twenty. Oh God, MySpace <laughs> is still around. Oh my God. 
Yeah, we, we're getting into scary territory now. <laughs> um, so uh, there was another little blurb uh, back up there that there's a blurb about sin cards and what yeah. they actually are, how to obtain them. Uh, I think that's important for any GM because a lot of it, a lot of people look at that like, well, it's just like your driver's license, but it's a lot more than that. Yep. Um, and they're, yeah, state, your state identification number is, uh, it's your driver's license, it's your social security card, it's your birth certificate, it's, um, it can be tied into your credit card, it's your passport, like, sure. Thumbprint, your retinal scan, your DNA. Yeah. That's why uh, getting, like, a good fake is, like, 50,000 EB. Like. Yeah, so that's Wild uh, Side came out at the same time this book did. I wasn't sure if Wild, I think Wild Side came out before this. But I'm not 100% sure. Uh, wow, that's that's an interesting question. I well, they both have the copyright of '93, so um, I know I got this book before I got Wild Side, but I don't know which one was actually published first. Yeah. Um, back then, like there, I didn't, I wasn't able to follow, you know, any kind of publishing schedule. I'd just go to the game store and whatever was there. I'd be like, oh, I must have. Um, so. Yeah, I know I got this first, but I don't know which one was published. Hmm. Interesting. Just set it on top of the shit, James. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry about that. No worries. Um, and then we get into uh, the actual history and, and philosophies that exist within the culture. And, um definitely interesting to see various types of fringe religions and and the one good thing about this book is there's a lot of little blurbs with hooks so after a particular section it kind of gives you an idea of a game you could possibly run based off of that idea um yeah and i mean that's really the way cyberpunk like a lot of their adventures are really nothing more than just these little these little hooks and blurbs. Um, that was the entirety of the cyberpunk adventures in the main book. Uh, was just hey, here's an idea, run with it, and this book does that very well. Yeah, and then the the article about transportation and why planes are really no longer the fashionable way of getting around anymore because of the uh, lack of fuel uh, and dirigibles yeah. and the maglev being the most essential <coughs> uh, transportation that you can take going any long distance. You know, uh, I, I like the idea of traveling by dirigible. Um, or at least I did until I saw one get caught in a wind, in a in a like a wind tunnel. And when I watched that poor blimp <laughs> like take a ninety degree nose dive, I was like, no, no. But the idea of dirigibles is is still romantic to me. Like, 
that used to be the fashionable way of travel uh, and remained so up until the Hindenburg accident. Then everybody panicked, and that was the end of that. Yep. And then they... Uh, I like... Go ahead. Uh, well, if you want to talk a little more travel before we get into the next section. Uh, I like maglevs. I like the idea of traveling by train. Um, yeah. Uh, aircraft, like flying by plane, ha- is really the uh, the venue of the government high level like wealth high level corporations and the wealthy and military and everybody else they just travel by train or by or by blimp in the ravenger book i remember that they had um a little section about how i don't even want to remember their names but <laughs> the main uh protagonist uh traveling cross country on the maglev um and getting the tickets. boy and bike girl. Yes. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say those with any sense of... Uh, like, I just can't take that shit seriously. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I hope um, our Talsorian is thinking about is novelization. Um, yeah, that would... I think that's how Shadowrun... I think that's one of the ways that they pulled ahead in the 90s is because they were a lot more spin-off savvy. They had the video game, uh, they had the novelizations, and that just was able to bring in a lot more people to the game. And Artal Sorian, they finally got the they finally got the two novelizations, but they came in the late 90s. Yeah. And they were We've talked at length about our opinions about fight yep. boy, fight girl. Uh, but yeah, I think th- I think that was one of the things that uh, let Shadow Run and Fossa pull ahead is they were able to reach a wider audience. Yeah, and I um, think Fossa and it was a pretty big corporation compared to. Uh, yeah, I mean they had BattleTech money, so. They were able to hire full color art teams and and like they just had more of a budget for production. Yep. So we'll see. Uh, can only hope. Maybe one yeah. of us should uh, approach our Talsarian and become the product line for novelizations. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean. You would think they'd tie more into uh, the comic books that we were talking about earlier. You'd think they'd. Uh, Artal would be all like, "Hey, give us a give us some red comic books. Maybe that maybe that's in the works. Who knows?" Uh, but well, yeah, there was. Two, I want to say there was maybe there was just the one, but I thought there was two of the series that were basically set right after the nuke went off. And, that, and that's something that I want to like reach out to um, either Jay Gray or, or Mike himself on like, so where's Johnny? Right, that yeah that series happened right after the bomb. So, but let's not talk about the comics. We're we're here to talk about 
Home of the Brave. Home of the Brave. We'll, we'll dedicate a whole episode to some comics. Yeah. Um, uh, so then we get into the nomad life, and they introduce a few new families that you can use for your uh, your own games. Um, I think the kids are probably one of the fun fun groups or fun family to use. I could almost guarantee. I, I've never asked him, but I can almost guarantee that uh, Ross Ross Wynn wrote this section. Yeah. Um, just because he goes on to do uh, Neo Tribes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kids kind of remind me. I like me. the digital librarian a lot. Well, the kids remind me of that old Star Trek episode where it was a majority of kids and like uh, was it uh, there was another freaking movie that had a lot of kind of kids taking over or creating their own society, but not like not like um, Lord of the Flies, but another kind of post-apocalyptic. Well, Mad Max, right? I was gonna say more like the Tribe, that uh, Australian show. Yeah. So. There are quite a few families. I, like, I think there's a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight new families that you can uh, inject yeah. into your games. Honestly, my favorite is Captain Cody and his uh, arrow pirates. I love that concept. Um, yeah, I love any... People come up with the weirdest, most quirky little nomad families. Um, I don't tend to think of them as typical nomad families. I tend to think of them as the outliers when they get all weird and quirky like that. Um, but yeah, if you've ever if you've ever been to a uh, a rainbow gathering or a dead show, you'll you'll run into these people. Yep, and you're like, yeah, they're totally nomads, and they're or even going to Burning Man, right? Yeah, Burning Man. Yeah, those are nomads. Those those guys show up and they're living the life. And then uh, we get into the rocker movement, in which they talk about the entertainment of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that also includes sports as well and how <laughs> sports have been uh, getting back to its roots of the gladiatorial games. Yeah, everything gets a little bit more violent. Um, they talk about mixed leagues of people with cybernetic enhancement playing like football against people who don't have it. Yeah. I don't know how well that would work. I... I Honestly, I don't know how well cybernetics would work in a like team sports situation. Uh, it would be really entertaining to watch and ridiculously brutal. I, I very much, I very much like the concept, but I would think that still non-augmented sports would still be a thing. Um, 
just because people are always going to be interested in like seeing people push themselves to the limit. That's uh, why we have such a backlash against steroids in the sport and other performance-enhancing drugs. Um, to the point that we penalize people for drugs that aren't performance-enhancing. We stripped Michael Phelps of his of all his stuff because the dude smoked weed. Like, what the hell? Mm. If anything, that reduced his performance. True. But uh, I'm getting off subject again. Anyway, yeah. Uh, they also talk about the long walk here a lot, uh, which always fascinates me as a concept. Like, we left all these military personnel, but just left them behind when we pulled out of the war in uh, South America, and they had to, like, travel on foot and in shitty falling-apart vehicles while being attacked from all sides all the way back uh, through Central America, through Mexico, and finally to the United States, where we weren't going to let them in until it created such a media shitstorm that they finally had to. Um, a lot of your favorite... Uh, oh, I can't, I can't think of the word. Um, your favorite NPCs in the game, like Johnny Silverhand and Morgan Blackhand, are all veterans from the Long Walk. They all made that long, arduous journey. And... Uh, We'll talk about that again when we review Neo Tribes, but mm -hmm. we already did. I know, but we'll probably do it again <laughs> because well, it's such. A it's interesting that you bring that up because um, so there, there's a, a YouTuber called Last Known Meal. He does a lot of um, Cyberpunk 2077 stuff, like news and updates, and he actually had a. One one uh, video in which he questioned whether or not Johnny was good or bad, um, and kind of talked about what was. Oh, he's bad. <clears throat> well, yeah. well, he <laughs> he talked about you know what was in the game from 2020, you know, being a terrorist, and basically the the point of view of what was in 2077, right? And and Last No Meal also has done a little bit of research into 2020, and you know. One thing that he didn't bring up was like, you know, Johnny's also a vet and he was a vet from the long walk. And the idea that that didn't chew away at his mm -hmm. men mental stability. Um, What's that guy's name again? Last Known Meal. Hmm. It's all one word. Oh, yeah, he's actually pretty good. He's not like some of the other YouTubers who like just put out well he kind of does a little bit of clickbait but like there's a lot of youtubers who put out a lot of clickbait around cyberpunk 2077 um indeed and you know and run with the rumors right oh you know cdpr is gonna do this and this and this and <laughs> last no meal is like eh, you know you gotta look at that and question you know the validity of a lot I, of those really... reports I really have no respect for the rumor mill YouTubers. Um, I have tremendous respect for anyone who keeps their keeps their reporting factual and like this is what we know. Um, even when it comes to rumors and when they report on them, they're all like, you know, we heard this rumor, but there's nothing to back it up. Uh, or you know, 
this guy who actually works for CDPR might have said something and leads to speculation. But I hate the rumor mill. Yeah. Uh, it's it's. I see a lot of it on GTA Online. Uh, people reporting on that, and they'll just report the dumbest, most ridiculous crap as if it's actual fact. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if he's if he's one of the guys who keeps it factual, I am definitely going to be a fan of his. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I'm saying that the majority of it is, and he and he definitely tries to talk about it uh, a little more in depth. And usually, he he creates a video a day or two later than most, right? Because he actually does a little bit more analysis on it and and questions the whole whether or not it's truly fact or if it is a rumor which i appreciate more oh than excellent the other ones yeah right. but he just doesn't do just cyberpunk 2077 he does quite a few others um also well I yeah i mean it's a video he's a game youtuber so yeah that's gonna happen yeah so uh continuing on so we have the sports and the the death sports um yeah so i think from a sporting event i could definitely see local like like basically the poor areas actually having non-cyber sporting events um versus the middle class and the and the rich class wanting more and more right violence craziness and, and <clears throat> more of that. A little late, a little late game stuff. suddenly become much more entertaining. Right. <laughs> but, you know, local kids having a, a small team that they play out in the abandoned parking lot of a factory and the community of the, you know, in the combat zone gathering to watch. Um, I don't say, I don't think the gangers would want more blood and gore, but I could also see the gangers wanting to see you know, a little more um, of just of just uh, normal people, and then you also have you know the movement of the ludites and the and the inquisitors, right? Who are very much anti-cyberware and would want to have that outside of their sport, as it were. Oh yeah. But. Um, and then the next section talks about food and substance and where people get their food. And it's basically kibble. Um, one thing yeah. I got to say that was great about Red was, hey, if you're going to have a diet like this, these are the penalties you're eventually going to get for living on. Scurvy is coming back, baby. Pretty much. Malnutrition, your teeth are going to start falling out, hair is going to... Um, again, there's a lot of things that I take as hyperbole in in the Cyberpunk 2020 supplements, and everyone eating kibble all the time is one of those things. Um, just because you can't survive on that. and While the corporations do want you to be fairly sedate... Uh, it's an old cult tactic, you know, feed feed the people with the absolute minimum uh, nutritional requirements, and it makes them fairly malleable, uh, mentally and physically. 
uh, you're st- these people still have to survive. So I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, in my game, you know, the average person is going to eat kibble most of the time, uh, but they'll still be able to like afford a, a good meal like once a month or something. I don't know. Right. That's just the idea of never being able to eat anything but kibble, but Doritos. <laughs> just I, I, as somebody who loves to eat, I can't I can't get behind that completely. I can I can. I can see it for the hell that it is, but yeah, my characters need some need some variety. I guess. No, well, it's like it, it, it would definitely be hell eating top ramen, you know, for God knows how long. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as, as someone who eats way more than he needs to of, of ramen, uh, instant noodles. And... Yeah, who's a genuine fan of that stuff? The idea of eating nothing but that. Jesus, that that's a nightmare. Which I guess is entirely the point of the game. Right, and, you know, I think it's also one of those things in which you eat what you can and what's the cheapest. Um, so, if it's not available to you, yeah, you're probably going to eat that. You're going to try to occasionally try to eat a better meal once in a while but um that was you are gonna rob cheat and steal just to get that one apple yep and those that you share with your entire family you cut that shit up into little pieces yeah and those who are still part of the middle class or the upper class definitely won't be in (laughs) kibble unless on unless they're doing it on the dare yeah um then we get into the next chapter, which is the New American Government, uh, which is basically a breakdown of uh, how the government of the U.S. now works in 2020. Yeah, what the uh, federal powers are actually capable of and what they oversee, what the state powers, how that, how that intermingles with the independent states and... It's it's a very they put some thought into making it all work. Yep. Uh, and getting into the various um, departments, even though there's not too many departments left. Uh, one thing I don't think is true is that the IRS would have gone away. No, um, no that would never ever happen. The IRS is, is it does doesn't tax people it tax everything um and if the government has no money then you know or sorry doesn't tax anyone it's not going to have any money um and if it doesn't tax anyone and the irs goes away then the whole government would no longer exist so i i really i think that little blurb about that was a little unrealistic and also the concept that uh, the government only gets its money from trade and the small percentage that the states collect for their taxes. Um, yeah. I, there's, there's a lot of things that don't work for me in the book, and this is kind of one of those things. Like, I don't ever see... 
I, I get corporations are super powerful, but I don't ever see a world in which the United States military is somehow less powerful than the corporations, than any individual corporation, like Arasaka. Right. I don't care how big Arasaka gets, they're not going to be able to take on the U.S. military and direct anything. And, and that's um, the other thing, is how is the U.S. military still the ultimate power of the world if there are no taxes being collected, or very little yeah. taxes being collected? I mean, the truth is, is that our, our military is so well-funded that you could cut their budget by a quarter and we'd still be head and tails above any other military in the world. So the idea that a corporation is going to be more powerful than that is just, it's kind of ridiculous to me. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I have to rearrange in my own game world to make personal sense to me. Um, I, I can get that there are independent states and free states, um, but they still, like any time you read any of the blurbs, they still call themselves part of the United States. So in my head, what that means is that these states have basically, they've seceded, they've declared themselves independent, but what that really means is they just don't accept, they don't contribute to... Uh, anything federal, and they don't accept any federal aid. But they're still just to be... They're going to have to sign treaties with the United States. And I would think that part of those treaties are they still have to... Uh, they still have to host United States military bases. They still have to, uh, you know, have extradition treaties with the rest of the United States for, like, criminals and whatnot. Um, like they're not separate countries. Uh, it's it's a mess when you think about it, and I don't know. Like the book tries to make it work, and I try to make it work, but it, it, it's a mess, and it really comes down to individual GMs how they want to handle it and and mesh their own personal ideas with what's presented in the book in order to make that really kind of complicated situation work. I mean, you can just go with what's written, but the minute your players start asking questions, you're going to kind of, your eyes going to start twitching and, you know. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> they also get into, like, the voting and how it's still people aren't sure whether or not they would vote. Um, yeah. And that's another thing is they talk about, you know, the president of the United States and it obviously affects even in 2077, like they talk about the president of the United States and it affects things that ha are happening in the game. So. Right. There's still some measure of federal oversight. Which is how the corporations are more are really more meddling into the trying to get control of the government and how it works but yet it's weird how or sorry it seems very contrary to some of the statements that have gone before right when one corporation mm -hmm. that's tried to assassinate or did assassinate one of the the presidents how that corporation no longer existed 
um, yeah. talking about how the U.S. government, well, then again, I think in 2020, it, it, the, from what I've heard of Mike and Jay talking, is that 2020 was basically a corporate rule, right? And, and the corporations really took control, whereas red is kind of, you see less of that and more government growing as a power. Red seems to me to be the closest I've seen in a game system of organized anarchy. Mm. Um, the corporations are there. They do influence or they do assert power, but they're much weaker than they are in 2020. And the government is like trying to rebuild itself. Um, it's a very interesting uh, political picture to try and examine. Um, it could really go either way. And we know how it goes because we played Cyberpunk 2077. Yep. But in the time of Red, it can really... It could really go either way. And it's... Of all the... All the cyberpunk franchise settings, I think Red is the one where the players could possibly have the most impact on the world around them. Yep. If, yeah, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and then there's a, a little bit of a paragraph on the <clears throat> uh, economy, the current state of economy within the United States, um, which is a good read helps you kind of understand a little bit of what the hell's going on and at least from uh, our Talsorian how it works right <laughs> and how the world works at end of this time um, <clears throat> then we get into uh, the US military uh, the history of it i.e. the first and second South Am Wars, the Space Wars uh, Operation Big Stick which is that's the one in which um, the president was assassinated. Presidential appointee Henry was assassinated. Jacob E. was assassinated. And that's where the, yeah, and then the military vice president dies right afterwards. Yeah. And the president comes, or the military comes and destroys that company. As it would. Yep. And it also talks about how the military kind of really is in bed with. A few of the corporations, but most particularly Militech. Yeah, that's why it always freaks me out that... Like, I get Johnny Silverhand hates Arasaka. I, I get that, but I don't understand why he would willingly work for Militech. I know that Arasaka's mortal enemies and all that shit, but, like, Militech is this hyper-fascist, like, extension of the U.S. military. It's like the private extension of the military. Yep. And I don't I don't get why Johnny would work for them at all. I don't get why he would side with the US government. Um because he's so he's always portrayed as being so anti nationalistic. Mm. Uh, well enemy of my for enemies, him to willingly right? I I guess it never really explains like he has a hard on even before the alt situation, like Johnny Silverhand is portrayed as having this weird hard-on for for Arasaka. Yeah. And it never really explains why. 
Uh, I would very much like to see that explored at some point in in either the video game or in Red or just somewhere telling me what Arasaka did to Johnny that he hates them so very, very much. Yeah. Uh, because think, at the time of, I think like, before with... 2013, <laughs> Arasaka was still a relatively new player on the scene. Uh, actually, Arasaka Security was created back in 1970, according to the books. Sure, but, like, as as the powerhouse Zaibatsu... Uh, That has influ- that has spread worldwide. I, I always got the impression that it was fairly new to that scene. Now maybe that's just because you know I'm a I'm coming into it from you know hey this is the new book situation. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd very much like to know what what pissed Johnny off at Arasaka originally. Yeah, I mean I would like to know that too. I'm I'm wondering if. And again, this is just a complete hypothesis, rumor, made-up idea of my own. Not anything to do with any facts. But, you know, during the South Am War, what was Arasaka involved with? Because I know Arasaka controls, is it Peru or Argentina? Brazil. Do they own Brazil? I know they're... I don't know if they own it, but I mean, they pretty much took over the police, yeah. the police forces in Brazil. I thought it was Argentina or Peru. It might be. In either case, right? Is there could have been, you know, a junta uh, in which Arasaka was pulling the strings, and you know, fr- from the reports of the South Am War, you know how soldiers were. You know, prisoners of war were basically used as guinea pigs through various biotech uh, experiments. Could uh, Johnny have infiltrated one of those research facilities run by Arasaka and he found some of his soldier buddies being experimented on? And that's where the hatred I could really see began. that. Or maybe during the long walk, Arasaka was supplying all the people that were attacking them. I could see that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when like you pick up a gun and it says Arasaka on it, and <laughs> the gun is being used to basically slaughter you, or like, like with uh, Tony Stark, right? <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, a situation very similar to that. The reason why we don't I like you that. is because the bombs that are dropped on us have the name Stark on the side. But I couldn't ever see. I, I, I just, I still couldn't see. Uh, Unless Johnny himself was taken and experimented on, that's also possible. You'd think mm-hmm. he'd mention it at some point. But I, I couldn't ever see him like hating Arasaka more than hating the U.S. government that literally abandoned him. Yeah. Um, or at least the U.S. military. I, like that just... Well, again, he's living in a, a, weird, a free state, you know? So yeah, he's no longer part of the United States, as it were. Yeah. Um, um, we have gotten, we have run off on a huge tangent here. Yep. Uh, well, it's part of the it. history, right? I and that's conversation. Yeah. That's where, you know, the, the, you know, this particular section in this book talks about the, the long walk, the South Am war. I and mean, really shit, there's an image. 
<laughs> There's an image on page 41 of Uridine and Silverhand just hanging out in the studio. Yep. It's it's not one of the better images, but there you go. Yeah, so the section on the military is pretty in-depth, um, which, you know, I definitely know a lot of tabletop RPGers or love their military and the history. Yeah, indeed. And knowing what gun is the proper gun to use in a given situation, and uh, which is kind of nice to explain some of that. Um, and then right after that, it just goes into creating a soldier. Uh, I love that. that they added life paths, not just for the military, but for each branch of the military. Mm. Um, I, I think it really helps flesh out if you're running a military game uh which i have i have run a couple of military campaigns um it really helps flesh that out give you a feel for the characters give them yeah yeah and, th- uh, and to me the system kind of uh besides the the life path but the, just the skill acquiring um yeah and those very reminiscent to me with how uh, GDW with Twilight 2000 um, and their mm-hmm. character creation around skills. <clears throat> um, I don't know why I think that, but it just seems like the promotions, the paydays, and, and getting merits throughout your life history. Or life path, <clears throat> and then, you know, basically mustering out. Well, I mean, Twilight Two Thousand was a really popular game at the time this was being put out. Yep, and I think there was a lot of overlap in ideas, uh, as well as you know, an overlap in players because uh, it, it near future anarchic environments tend to, you know overlap with players yep uh you're drawn to one system you're likely drawn to another uh i know i had just a ton of twilight 2000 books that i bought specifically for inspiration for my cyberpunk games um so yeah uh and even if your character is just a vet if you're if you're running a former military character this helps flesh that out too yeah, and you can actually try to do conversion of this into red because of uh, you know the reunification war and how recent that yep. was. Is that the re- wait, was the re- reunification war before red, or was that happening after? I forget. Oh, good lord! Too oh, much lore for my brain to uh, <laughs> absorb. Um. um. But- I sadly have not focused on red enough to uh, to know, really. I have not memorized that lore to the extent that I have with 2020. I, I do like the concept that in 2020, that the 2020 military, like the bases are all these uh, combined operation groups, the COGs, where, you know, you've got the Air Force and and the Army and the Marines and the Navy, like working in concert together. Like I like that idea 
Like they're still separate entities, but there's much more, there's cooperation between them as far as, you know, it's not just an air base over here or just an army base over here. There's, you'll see fighter aircraft alongside army tanks and stuff like that. I, I like that idea. Yep. Um, and it, 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 it goes into, you know, how they're organized and, you know, what the, what the hierarchy is and all that. So it, it works. I mean, basically they combined all the European militaries into the EDF or at least all mili- European militaries contribute to the EDF kind of like a localized UN in that regard. So yeah, I like it. Yeah, and then there's also, some... I also like that they talk about, go ahead. Well, go keep going with your thought on that. It's about to go. Into oh, I was going to say, I like that they, uh, they talk about the difference between corporate soldiers and like military. Uh, I like that they give that a little thought as to you know how they work and what that means in your game. Yeah, and I would think that to me the quality of the corporate soldiers would be a little bit better than the national ones. Just because of, I don't know, <laughs> I, I think how the national will take in anybody versus a corporate who is going to make sure that they have the best of the best, right? And pay you exactly what you're worth. I, I think at the time that the books were written, though, like oh. mercenary units were really like looked down upon. If there was even uh, any. Like we, yeah, I mean, the idea of private militaries being a thing, like a, a serious thing to, to worry about, didn't really come about until, you know, Blackwater uh, and its role in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. Like, like, before that, people just didn't really give them much thought. So the idea that in 1993, these private militaries being sort of more of an elite group wasn't the prevailing philosophy towards them. They were just seen as like money-grubbing mercenaries uh, who would take anybody. When in reality, most private militaries are going to be made up of like veterans from the real militaries uh, who have decided, hey, you know, I'd rather just get paid what I'm worth than uh, the cause isn't as important to me as the paycheck. Well, I remember watching a documentary, and I can't remember the mercenaries group. It was like something, not Acquisitions Incorporated, it was something along those lines, like a very corporate-sounding name, Um, but they were a mercenary group, Um, mostly... uh, South African army. Uh, and basically they operated within Africa for quite a while. And eventually they they were very successful um, in what they did. And, and they kind of like, they were a weird group. They actually had like morals, <laughs> which, you know, some mercenaries don't always think they do. 
Um, but it was very interesting in that, you know, they were fighting like uh, against, you know, genocidal maniacs that would um, crop up in the area. I'm trying to remember what their name was, but uh, it was very interesting. Eventually they had to, they were forced to disband because of uh, the UN um, who said that, you know, you're causing more damage than you really think, even though they're, they're saving thousands of lives of innocent lives and, and for their work. But it, <clears throat> yeah, I don't remember what it was, what the name was. It was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting documentary on that whole situation. Um, but yeah, now, now that I think shift of, at least in our present day, the, the shift of, of mercenaries has changed. And even in cyberpunk, right? You have not only Militech and, and Arasaka, but you have the Lazarus uh, group who are strictly just straight-up mercenaries. Um, and yeah. there's reference to various other ones that do exist and have basically been corporized, corpor- industrialized, corporatized. <laughs> Corporatize trademark uh, four loan dopes. <laughs> I think it's a pretty common <laughs> phrase, but we'll try it. We'll, yeah. we'll see if we can get some money out of that. No, one, We're no one's copyrighted. <laughs> Go to corporatize the corporatized term. Um, but yeah, so the next section of the military gets into some stats which is always useful, especially when you're running a game. Um, and then the gear porn. Um, and I like the, the, gear, the gear area because it just didn't get into, hey, here's a bunch of weapons, right? It actually got into um, actual bits and pieces of equipment that a soldier would use in their daily life. Yeah, like their standard equipment. Like what are they carrying around? What is the average dude carrying around? Yep. Um, it's it's not I mean it's it's gear porn in a very very localized uh an itemized way. I like that. It it's not an excessive section of the book and it's just a couple of pages. Um but it it really it fleshes out what a dude is carrying. Uh what your average, you know, grunt goes into the field with. And a lot of people, like, like at the time, I had no idea. Uh, so, yeah, it, it helps that out a lot. And this section is very useful when it comes to, I think, the Iannis, uh campaign adventure scenario book, uh, Chrome Berets. Chrome Berets? Yeah. Yeah. Because that book is pretty much... Uh, based off of like that movie uh, MIA Smishing in Action with Chuck Norris or <laughs> Rambo, right? Yeah, I had never I had never put that together, but yeah, it's it's MIA the fucking the fucking <laughs> RPG. Yeah, so, I mean, think about it. It's so the South End Wars are, are the the cyberpunk Vietnam, right? But I cranked really up to, to 11. Um uh it's weird to me that, like, 
uh, Boa Boa Wayland, he first appears in Chrome Beret. Mm-hmm. And, and it's weird to me that for a off-company book, he became such an influential NPC. Well, I mean, inf- uh, the, the Interface magazine, right, was technically kind of licensed through Artile Sorian, kind of not. But a lot of the stuff yeah. that came out of there made it into canon, right? And various Chrome. I mean, it was it was the official fanzine for Cyberpunk. So that makes sense to me. Like Punk 21, their stuff did not make it into canon. But Interface did because they had uh, like Hawkabout and Pondsmith were friends at the time. Yeah. Like Hawkabout does a lot of the art for the books, um, contributed to writing. Uh, so yeah, they, they it had more of an official bent, whereas uh, you, the Ianus books and were and the uh, Atlas books, and I think Chrome Berets was Atlas, not Ianus. Uh, they were they just had a license, um, but most of the stuff in there, very little of that stuff, nothing from Ianus came over and was right. ca- considered yeah. canon. Um, Even though I love some of the the Dark Metropolis stuff. Oh yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. That's not a knock on the on the quality of the books. Uh, that's just Atlas. You don't see a lot of Atlas books being influential to cyberpunk to the cyberpunk 2020 canon. Uh, not in the way that Chrome Berets was. Uh, Dave uh, Nighthawk Simpson. He actually headed up a group called uh, the Chrome Berets back in the 90s, early 2000s, where uh, it was a playtesting group um, that that ran around to conventions and stuff like that. And they mm-hmm. actually became a big deal for a while. Yeah. I always wanted to join them. <laughs> yeah, Dave's Dave's a good guy. He's a, he's a, I, I consider him a pretty good friend. At, at one point, he hosted some stuff for Data Fortress on his site. Uh, I think one of his old, old sites still hosts uh, an early version of Autumn Blade. Um. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. He he runs gamers on on games now and spent a lot of his time like kicking the teeth in of the the more crappy element of our hobby. Neo Nazis and other bigots. He's mm-hmm. that's that's his main focus now, it seems. Right. Uh but yeah, if you get a chance, check out Gamers on Games. He's a good dude. Okay. Uh, so the next section is state by state and where what is happening in the current states, um, which is definitely a great read. Uh, in, in my opinion, this is the bread and butter of the book. This is the reason, the number one reason you should buy this book is their breakdown of the states and what's happened in the in the in the years and what situation they're in now. And they also give hooks uh, on some of the states, so you can actually run certain adventures, and they also have hot spots as well. Um, yeah. So getting I, into it, you want to go, you want to review your entry for the state, and I'll review my entry of the state? Uh, what do you mean? Like, entry so I, I'm from Connecticut, 
So oh. looking at the blurb from Connecticut, how accurate or, or what you think should have changed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Want me to go first? So from birthplace. Uh, yeah, whichever. First. Well, my birthplace and my current residence is the same one. So, uh, well, I got I, I got birthplace and current residence and all sorts of shit in between. But right, so I'm gonna go with my my, my uh, state is uh, Connecticut, and uh, the current situation there is it's bankrupt, um, and there is absolutely no industry except the naval shipyards. Um, I don't know about that. Um, because, so Connecticut is known as the insurance capital of the world. Uh, so would insurance still exist in 2020? Absolutely. I mean, really trauma team is just insurance, but it's insurance that shows up with guns. Um, the other part, well, and again, I think back in the 90s, or even back in the 2000s, early 2000s, I would also put up with um, and say that the the biotech industry was pretty strong here, but not so much nowadays. <laughs> so, meh, okay. Uh, so, what happened to Connecticut? So, basically, Connecticut has seen a lot of destruction. Um so after the nuke that went off New York, uh, the migration of people from New York pulling into Connecticut, I can definitely see that. Uh, also, the biohazards and garbage washing up on our shores. So if you aren't familiar with Connecticut, we are, we are not landlocked. But we have uh, the wonderful Long Island that guards our coast from the (laughs) ocean. So what happens is a lot of sludge uh, from New York and the Hudson can get into what's called Long Island Sound. So I definitely can see the toxic waste in in the sound being a problem in my state and, and basically our quote-unquote coast being a desolate area. I can definitely see that. Um, So it also mentions how our economy just went into the gutter because of our government going bankrupt. Mm, There's that possibility. Um, We are are known... But we still make the best pizza. Of course we still make the best pizza. Of course we do, man. Okay, I mean... The Italians aren't going to leave here. (laughs) And plus we have the influx of the the New York, you know. Yeah, I've got like a fistful of Connecticut friends and all of you guys tell me about how great your pizza is. Dude, it's delicious. I'm like, well, damn. Nobody nobody exports Connecticut pizza. That is true. It's because of the water, as they'll they'll always (laughs) say. I, I believe that. Granted, whether or not that water you want to drink in 2020, eh, maybe not. <laughs> um, that toxic sludge from the sound, I'm telling you. Yeah. So one of the other things is that it says that the, that the state has become completely def- deforest because there are bitter winters and everybody could, went out and cut down trees. And um, I've driven through throughout the state. Um, sorry. Two kids. 
two of my cats have decided to have a disagreement. Um, if you heard that in the background. <laughs> um, so living in the state, I have driven quite a bit around the state. Um, the amount of woods we have, I would be very surprised if we could deforest the state within 20 years with the population we have. But No, I can't imagine that. Um, you know, anything's well, possible. I mean, wildfires did take place across the U.S. Who's to say Connecticut didn't hit, get hit hard by that, too? Mm, true, true. I've seen a lot of wildfires in the Northeast, but... Yeah, but we also get, depending upon, well... One year, it depends on the year, right? So these past few years, we've gotten either a lot of rain or no rain. So, and it's, it's not as consistent as like California not having any rain for years at a time. Right. So is it possible? Yes. Uh, especially with the advancement of, of, you know, climate change, etc. Um, so... They kind of say industry because of the New York immigrants coming in, crime went up. Uh, a lot of companies decided, hey, we're <laughs> we're out. We don't need this crime. Um, and that basically made the government go belly up, um, which is kind of true. Uh, they, we saw a bit of a boom. Uh, with small industries moving back in and taking advantage of the lack of state regulation and taxation. Mm, yeah, I could see that happening. Um, but after a harsh winter, Connecticut communication and travel networks were shambles. Uh, I suppose. Uh, reeling from the blow, many of the city governments reorganized themselves into cooperatives. Uh, and the left-wing Yale students organizing a Stalinist tradition. Oh, of the worst of the Stalinists. Eh, I don't think Yale people are just yeah. all left-wings. <laughs> <There's>... <laughs> I don't think so either. I, I definitely... Like, there's this weird disconnect that... Uh, yeah, Stalinist traditions. I, I just... I don't see that really taking hold anywhere. Well, I think there's uh, I also a mis- wing likes to paint the left as that, but yeah, and and there's also a misconception that Connecticut is a very liberal state. Mm, it was very recently we actually allowed alcohol to be sold on Sundays, so we still have quite a bit of a. Uh, left-leaning as well, or sorry, right-wing as as well. So um, it all depends on the citizen, right? So we're, we're very moderate, I would say. Yeah. Um, being bankrupt character has no legitimate state government. I could see that. Uh, only, only organized, well-kept areas in the states are the few military facilities. You can bet... Eh. And then they talk about how the New Haven or slash the Haven Arcology was created. I could see that happening. Um, and it's yeah, a nice little bit a of blur. Little bit of lore. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I could see some of this. Some of this I would see because one thing about Connecticut, right, is the rich people of New York City 
do not live in New York City. They live in Connecticut. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so it's not in Bridgeport. Right. So would they go? Would the would the migration from the city push those people to go further up into the state? I could see. So I could see the state, at least the the northern sections of it, slowly being remigrated by the ultra rich. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Then, Especially after Manhattan got nuked. Yep, yeah, and then the ultra rich controlling that area, making it you know a utopia for themselves. That's one thing I see. Um, the other thing absolutely. that kind of makes me, and again the. the the thing that, that there's contradictions, right, in, in various source books. So you have the Bosch Wash corridor, right, in which they talk about how that our area, basically Connecticut, is just humongous urbanized area with tons and tons of people. And if that's the tr- if that's if if you're taking the concept of the Bosch Wash, right then Connecticut has tons of people, which means there's tons of tax revenue, which means the state government wouldn't have crashed, right? So this kind of blurb says that the state has basically turned into not urbanized anymore, but, you know, ultra-poor squatters eking uh, eking out their lives, which means there's no new urban areas, there's no new cities, there's no new places for those people to live except what little squats they can find. So it's just, could some of this happen? Yes. Um, I would definitely write in like my concepts that the ultra-rich would probably take over the northern state. And the other thing about Connecticut is we have two of the biggest casinos, which of course, the time of this writing, they did not know about, but we have two two of the top two of the biggest casinos in the world uh, in our state. So, could I see those casinos taking over more of the state and actually expanding Native American um, settlements here? Right. So, Native Americans that got more decimated in other areas of the country flocking here to find refuge. I can see that as well. So that's my state in a nutshell. All right. Well, my birth state, uh, not only is my birth state all fucked up, but my actual birthplace is mentioned in the book as being one of the most fucked up places in the United States. I am from Colorado, specifically from Colorado Springs. And, well, the EDF wiped Colorado Springs off the map when they dropped it, when their mass driver dropped a rock on NORAD. Just wiped it off the map. It's Colorado Sprung now. Um, Overall, Colorado survived to 2020 fairly well, just not that area. The military did not did not fare well in in Rocky Mountain High. Let me tell you. Um, due to climate change, Colorado actually is doing pretty well. They were able to the the 
climate change warmed it up a little bit, so they were able to become an agricultural uh, hub in the U.S. Uh, it's uh, it's got a couple of new cities. It's 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 got White City, which is like a biotechnica run place, where you know they mostly raise cattle and. Uh, tourism is still huge in Colorado and the, the white city is kind of a tourist attraction um, it's it's where the rich can get their freshly slaughtered cattle and uh, which is you know the sign of the ultra rich hey I got this beef today <laughs> the only people who ever see that other than the ultra rich are nomads and that's even then, that's pretty rare for them. Um, yeah, the tax revenues uh, from White City and the tourism and the agricultural business uh, helped prop up the Colorado state government. Um, although everyone who's outside of that city is kind of envious of them. Uh, the U.S. Air Force Academy had to, had to move um like after the after Colorado Springs got taken out um i guess they kind of rebuilt the air force academy uh it doesn't really tell you where it's located hmm. um but apparently it still exists in Colorado somewhere uh it's funny when i went back to Colorado Springs a few years ago uh just to visit um, I actually went to the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee, the building where all that took place. And it's funny because that's where the rock lands that just wipes out the whole place. Uh, the house I lived in when I was born was like a mile away from that. And do you, uh, can you picture it just being a humongous crater? I mean, here's the deal. Like, outside of Colorado City, it's a lot of desert. Like, that's where Garden of the Gods is. Um, so, yeah, I could see that being a, a crater in it. It, it. it was weird. It was weird, like, because I kept picturing in my head when I was there, like, holy shit, in 2020, this shit is all gone, like, leveled to the ground. There's a big, giant crater here. Uh, how much would that affect the surrounding area? Like, obviously, it's not going to do too much to the mountains and Pikes Peak and all that, but... Um, yeah, Col yeah, Colorado is an interesting state, right? Because you have the highlands and the lowlands. Um, and, yeah, and you've got... I think In between that, you've got the... It, like, the desert from New Mexico kind of encroaches into it, into areas like Colorado Springs, and then it moves into, like, a forested area from that, like... And then, like you said, the lowlands coming in from Kansas, which is just flat as fuck. It's it's really weird driving from Kansas into Colorado because it's just flat, 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 flat. Oh my god, those mountains are huge. <laughs> yeah, my so, and I think there's a, a per, people who who've never been to Colorado or, or driven in that area, and I, I know I haven't, right? 
um, is the concept that, oh, Colorado must be like Denver, you know, up in the mountains, and it's all mountain. And, and the reality is it's not. Um, my, no, it's... My sister actually made the journey out there, and like you said, she was driving through Kansas. Oh, I see the mountains. Hmm. Ten hours later. Huh. Those mountains aren't really getting any closer. Well, slowly but surely. Weird. Yeah, yeah, this is getting weird. Um, you know, and it took her like it's, a day think... to finally get to the mountains and then driving up. Um, Colorado is one of the weird states. It's like the United States version of New Zealand. There's just all sorts of weird terrain going on there and climate. And yeah, it's it. Colorado is 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 different. Uh, and the people there have a different different mindset depending on where you are in the state like uh the only state that i can think of that's as diverse as colorado is california really mm. yeah california you have the north the south even the west or the east um yeah central california. california i mean it goes from baja california down in the south to the you know national redwood forest in the north it's it's pretty varied. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Colorado doesn't... Colorado Springs Fair is pretty shitty. I like that they talk about Cheyenne Mountain, which is where NORAD sits, and they talk about it as if, well, they haven't heard anything from it since the rocket, but there's all sorts of rumors as to what could still be going on in there. They just can't get in. Right. So, I mean, I notice... I know that I've used that adventure hook a few times in my own games. Um, hell, and uh, I haven't decided which of those adventure hooks are canon in my game or not, but it's ranged anything from just it being an abandoned structure, half fallen in and filled with corpses, to, you know, there's some weird fuckers living in there. Mm. I haven't decided yet which of those I think are canon. Yeah, because that's true, because NORAD probably has enough food to last decades. Oh, dude, I mean, it's with, it's with it was designed to withstand direct hits from nukes, so... Like, there's a high possibility that there are people still up, up in there who may not know that the rest of the world is doing okay, relatively, in comparison. Um... Almost serendipitously, the other the state that I currently live in is right next to Colorado in the book. Like the immediate uh, the immediate entry before Colorado is Arkansas, and Arkansas has gone to shit. Like bio plague has hit this area like hard. Um, the wasting plague took over, and it never really on the map. Is that where uh, all the bio signs are? Biohazard signs are. Yes. Is that one of those yes, things? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I mean, cholera hit after the wasting plague, and like they, the two diseases kind of went neck and neck for a while, just killing as many people as they could, uh, which yeah. in turn left a bunch of corpses everywhere, which just bacteria filled everything. Um, and that's the one thing the that's the one thing that, you know, when, when you read some of these descriptions, you're like, eh, I don't think that would have happened or, or whatever. But to hear 
oh yeah, you got hit with plague and this and this. And it's like, yeah, those things definitely can happen. And I got no rebuttal to, to contradict anything you're, you're posting in this book. Absolutely. Uh, if anything, knowing how this state operates, I can totally see, especially in light of COVID and the way people, like certain sections of the population just tried to ignore it. I can definitely see a, a plague just wiping this, this area off the map. Um, now, the book was written before like Walmart really became the powerhouse that it is now. Like I think superstores were just beginning to appear or super centers and uh but yeah. There's enough rural Arkansas that there would still be like pockets of population, but in any of the population centers, I could see them being totally decimated. Um even with Walmart, even with Tyson Chicken, even with J.B. Hunt being here as, like, major important hubs of <clears throat> commerce. Um, well, so... And, so of course, Let's, let's follow that, that thought, right? So, what would happen if, like, Tyson and Walmart and that other company you mentioned got hit by, you know, plague after plague and just decimated corporate center um and what happened what would happen if like you said you know during covid it's it's kind of been fucked up and you know that concept of yeah 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 this is a disease whatever in a year's time all of them are dead and how that would have impacted those corporations yeah i mean it's it would just uh, JB Hunt is a shipping company by the okay. way, trucking. Um, yeah, I mean, it all when you, you they're not going to let a trucking company like ship stuff out with potential plague carriers. So I could see everything getting shut down. Um, Walmart, as it stands today, their shareholders or their top shareholders. And the Walton family, they'd be safe in the in the Walmart bunkers, um, but the company itself would take major hits. Yeah. Uh, Tyson Chicken, well, they're not going to let infected fucking chicken out, or maybe they do, and that's how it spreads to other places. Um, in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Walmart would survive even if it became something else. Um, the Walton family is too ingrained into American commerce uh, and just too ridiculously wealthy. Like Walmart is the largest corporation in the world. It's it's It may change names or change its outward appearance, but even if like something major happened, I think they'd still survive in one way. Yeah. Um, so when I went back to school, um, this was 15 years ago, there was two things that kind of were ingrained into me in, in two different classes. One in my accounting class talking about Walmart as a business model, right? So Walmart as a business model, how they specifically targeted a lower profit margin, but... 
yeah. with that lower profit margin, they knew by selling cheaper stuff, they would get it would mass. sell in volume. Yes, right. And and that small little profit margin means millions and millions of dollars. So it was very acceptable to them. And that's why they their, their strategy, in which basically put out all the – or bankrupt so many other companies, which, of course, yeah. Amazon is now – doing to not only those finishing off the the smaller companies but also f working on getting rid of uh, Walmart was and the other thing yeah. in that class was that Mar Walmart specifically went to um various companies like for example like uh all the TV companies right Sony Toshiba etc exclusive agreements for lower <laughs> prices and you will actually see on their SKU numbers, the SKU numbers are specifically just for Walmart. So if you go off to yeah. another industry, uh, company and buy the same TV or what you think is the same TV, they're going to have different SKU numbers and they actually have different parts because those companies are specifically creating things specifically for Walmart to sell cheap. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if Walmart ever says, oh, we have the same thing, no, they do not. <laughs> the other thing no, about it's, it's... Walmart that I learned about, and this was in a different class, which was uh, my computer, one of my computer science classes, was uh, how much data at the time Walmart had. Oh, it's unbelievable. I, I've been to their server farm, and yeah. it's this underground bunker that is shielded against nukes. It's like the security surrounding it is insane. Hell, the corporate, the security at corporate headquarters. I used to work for a uh, like a film company that did like training videos and and shit like that. And one of the times we had to go to Walmart was to we had to film a deposition for something with one mm -hmm. of the Walmart guys. Yep. And just walking through the Walmart headquarters security, like I've been on military bases that had less security. Like checkpoint after checkpoint, um, like full metal detectors, and like then the guys come out with the wands just to make sure. Yeah, uh, data centers back in mid 2000s turned into that, right? Because <laughs> everyone's data was important. Oh yeah, uh, but the con. So, what I learned was that Walmart, the amount of data they had was twice the amount of data that was available on the internet at the time, which was yeah. back in two thousand seven ish. So you, you think about that. They had twice the amount of data that was publicly available on the internet in two thousand seven, and. Whether you guys want to know it or not, that data has constantly increased. So, and yeah, I mean, you've got to wonder why, what data they had that required them to have that much resources. Everything, your, your yeah. fucking shopping habits, your uh, just everything, your personal information of any time you do anything. I mean, and I'm it's, sure it's since the advent how of much information Walmart has it on. Yeah, and since the advent of 
all the social media applications, Google and all the search yeah. engines and it, it compiles those, all that. Yeah. And those companies selling the data, I am fully aware that Walmart is buying all of it as much as they can. Um, what they're doing with it, who knows? Are they reselling it? Possibly. So, yeah, Walmart is Walmart is definitely an evil mega corporation, which still stands yeah. unchecked. Oh yeah, no, they are. You want to you want a real life evil corporation? Walmart is in the top five, along with Monsanto and Del Monte and uh, the East Asia or the East India Trading Company. I mean, you talk about. Like, in the history of corporations, they're in the top five of the worst of all time. Uh, but they're also extremely necessary now. Like, they, they're they not completely evil. They do ship. It does help yeah, uh, other people. And they provide low, prices that... Low-price items for consumers who can't afford If you don't have much money, you're shopping at Walmart because that's where you can afford to shop. Yep. Um. Like, they're so big now that they're almost too big to fail. Like, too big to let fail. Uh, which is sad. But... So, for our, for our listener listeners, you need to come up with a, a corporate report of Walmart in either Red or uh, 2020. Send yeah, us. absolutely. Share that with us. Definitely send, share that with us. So, we're pretty much at time. Uh, so, I don't know... Well, I just wanted to say really quick, Arkansas is not just Walmart. And uh, Little Rock, apparently, the survivors in Little Rock have turned that into a really, like, green place where they're, like, having rooftop gardens and they've converted abandoned buildings into into grow houses and stuff like that. And then in the Ozarks themselves, those have kind of become a haven for anybody who's on the run because yeah. who the fuck is going to go into the Ozarks to look for them? Like this shit's massive. And, um, who wants to, even if you, even if you do attempt that, then you got to deal with the hill folk that already lived here. Who <laughs> they did fairly well during the plague because they're all isolated and inbred and shit. Um, or just survivalists who, you know, are paranoid in the first place. Um, piggy. Or is that more? I mean, Alabama? if you want, uh, yeah, that was, I forget where Deliverance took place, but I, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Alabama. It was, either way, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, Deliverance. Um, Hills got eyes. Hill, well, Hills have eyes was, it was New Mexico. So, but yeah, anytime you see, uh, wrong turn, that's some Ozark shit right there. Um. That'll have you terrified to take a long drive in the country. Let me. Mm. Yeah. So, but, yeah. one, one other thing so, I wanted to get to, like, and I don't think um, I kind of skipped over it because um, we, of course, went on our tangents. So, going back to Colorado, um, do you see Colorado kind of turning into what 2020 Nevada, Nevada is, right? Which is, hey, we don't care about legality of anything except maybe murder but even then we'll turn a blind eye because of how colorado's stance specifically on, on the drug enforcement and how they they've taken like hey we're gonna legalize everything or either legalize or decriminalize all uh controlled substances 
Do you see Colorado continuing on with that? Oh, absolutely. Like, Colorado's economy, like, just burst out of all expectations when they started legalizing, you know, drugs, starting with marijuana, first as medical, then as recreational, and then just basically, hey, it's your body, do what the fuck you want with it. I definitely see that trend continuing. Um, I see that actually being one of the reasons... Like, obviously, in 1993, the idea that any drugs, any illicit drugs would be legal much, uh, even for medicinal purposes, was still kind of a far-fetched idea. Uh, like, we were talking about it, we were, the, the wheels were starting to move, but nobody thought that it would, at the time, nobody thought that it would ever actually happen. Uh, so then when it did happen, it kind of took the world by storm. But... I definitely see in when you start mixing the real world with the the alternate future of 2020, I could definitely see like that industry uh, keeping Colorado afloat during all these disasters that befall it. Uh, especially as Colorado, like due to climate change, becomes more of an agricultural center. Holy shit. Yeah, they're going to supply... Like, it's weird that the... I get that Mike Pondsmith is very strongly anti-drug use. I, I get that. Um, and he wrote all this stuff about, you know, various plagues that wipe out marijuana and cocaine and all this stuff. Um, marijuana is a pretty resilient plant. And there are so many strains that I don't think any one plant virus is going to take them all out. Right. Uh, yeah, in in my world, the legal marijuana industry keeps Colorado, is one of the reasons Colorado stays afloat after, you know, massive uh, meteors, or uh, not meteor, but mass driver strike and all that. So, yeah, I definitely see that helping. I definitely see it continuing. Even if in your game marijuana and cocaine are gone, there's still going to be plenty of drugs that are just going to flow like crazy from Colorado. Yeah, and uh, and the the blurb about how biotechnic technica has um, gotten in there, I could see yeah. synthetic pharmaceuticals, as it were, yeah. uh, continuing. I mean, to, where do you think synthetic comes from? <laughs> yeah continuing to be uh, a major source of of the economy and actually being actually, a test bed for Coca-Cola. <laughs> they don't explicitly say that, but I mean Coca-Cola is the only co is the only corporation in the United States that is legally able to grow their own cocaine. Which is awesome. Go Coca-Cola. <laughs> Hello. Right. Yeah, you're here. <laughs> All right. So um, we're kind of at time, a little over. Uh, so I guess we'll end it here. I appreciate those who uh, hang, hung out with us and uh, listened to our rambling. Um, I am the Cyber Smiley. Uh, you can check me out in my works at cybersmiley.net. 
tons of uh, little apps and fun stuff that you can use for your games. Uh, currently, I'm working on a uh, the master list of gear and equipment. So you should be able to get that soon. I hope to get that released within a couple of weeks. I'm just finishing up my data validation on it. Um, and uh, you'll have a searchable list going forward. I am uh, Derek Bernier, otherwise known as Wisdom Triple Zero at from DataFortress2020.com. Uh, by all means, check out my site. Uh, there are several articles that have expanded on the information we've talked about today. Uh, most notably, my uh, Nomad Market article and Land of the Free, or not Land of the Free, uh, Dust in the Wind, as well as my source books for Africa and, and South America. Um, and I'd like to thank uh, Rob Mulligan and Cybernation Uncensored for hosting us. As always. Uh, as always. Um, please join us again in two weeks when we talk about other stuff. Excellent. All right. Peace out, everyone. Bye.